Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Okay. Um, my husband attended SILA for three weeks, returning home earlier this fall. We purchased the Covenant Eyes porn blocker as part of his aftercare. I recently found out he has relapsed, not a slip, with pornography use and has been using as soon as two weeks after he left treatment, apparently finding a way to get past the blocker on his devices. I'm doing my best to reinforce my boundaries. And although he has said he is comfortable with his addiction, he's comfortable with his addiction. He is still attending some meetings and meeting with his CSAT. He seems to be trying, but the pornography remains on his devices. I'm staying emotionally sober with the help of my HP and my Essanon program and sponsor. I am staying peaceful and serene while dealing with anger, resentment, and continuing betrayal. I'm going to take a good for you for like, like taking care of you. Okay. My question is, is in, in your experience, do you find people with porn addictions have a tendency to relapse and what is the best way for me to handle it? That's a great question. So what do you think? So, well, it just strikes me that the question at the end is, is, you know, three sentences. And then there's this whole long thing at the beginning. And I think that question could have been answered in one sentence as it is in the bottom, unless whoever this is really had a lot to say about what he or she is going through. And so, you know, Tammy, we can answer the question, but I wonder, do you, don't you think there's another question inside of there that we or two or three, because I've been writing stuff down. Yeah. So, so the first thing I picked up on was the covenant eyes and it's a blocker and Dr. Rob has talked before and there's information on our, our websites about a blocker versus, versus a filter, because in my experience, a, an addict will game around covenant eyes or, well, not just covenant eyes, any blocker, you know, for, and Dr. Rob has talked about this before for a young person, a blocker is a good thing. Although with their technological savvy, you know, they probably can get around it too, but a filter that gives them pause, like that they know that there's going to be a report that's going to go to a CSAT therapist or to his sponsor or both so that they have the ability to see. Now I see, you know, you, you were looking at porn here, what was happening, you know, two hours before, why did you choose to do that type of thing? So that there's an opportunity for discussion about kind of like an autopsy on this relapse. So that was the first thing that I picked up on. I, I was also, you heard me stop at the, he's comfortable with his addiction. So that, that kind of, um, and that, I, actually, Cammy, I thought it might be, I'm being kind he's comfortable having had a slip or comfortable he's had he's struggling okay you know i'd like to think of it that way uh but i completely get if he's comfortable with addiction it's a whole different issue um so i want to answer the questions that have not been answered here and i was writing them down um two weeks after he left treatment he relapsed or they is it a he yeah husband okay two weeks after he relapsed he was not in a slip he was in relapse, which the difference is a slip is something that happens. You tell everyone to try to get better, work on it openly. A relapse is you don't tell anyone. You keep doing it and nobody knows. That's relapse. So in any case, I heard the word relapse, not slip. And then I rel- Then there are a whole bunch of stuff confused me uh, that I saw, like um, uh, something about uh, da, 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 da. something about me. Uh, it's okay for him to, or he's been able to keep the porn on his devices. Uh, so I noticed that. Um, 
And then I heard the word trying in there. And I don't think, so I'll go by one by one. Trying is not something you do in recovery. I, I, I could try, I could, uh, you know, I could try to do something all day long. It doesn't mean I'm actually doing it. And addicts will try so hard to, and they really try. And they'll tell you, by the way, I'm trying and trying and trying, but that doesn't mean they're actually doing the work or they're, or they're, what they're trying at is actually equal to what they need to be doing. In any case, here are my concerns. He had a relapse, not a slip. He, he began using two weeks after he left treatment. And let me just say, that ain't about treatment. <laughs> That's about the person who leaves and where they're, what they're, for example, why didn't I hear about it? I work in and out of our treatment center. If somebody calls and they say, uh, or calls Tammy and says, I left treatment two weeks ago and I had a slip and I don't know what to do. Tammy will put them in touch with the person who saw them for therapy while they were with us. And then, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm involved or I'm supportive or I'm actually on the screen if they need me. So just know that, that if someone went to treatment and they slipped right away, there are all kinds of things discussed about what to do about that and how to handle that. And so it should never be a relapse because people, these men and women are taught, we don't treat women, but are taught exactly what to do in these situations. So what I feel is a lot of willfulness. It feels like I'm going to do it my way and this is the way it is. And I guess the other side of it is, you know, uh, and Tammy, you're going to have to help me this uh, with this. Um, this person said, I'm staying peaceful and serene while dealing with anger, resentment, and continuing a trail. And, you know, I respect that. I admire that, that you went to Essanon, that you're doing whatever it takes to, to be at peace inside of yourself while all this crap goes on around you. But that doesn't mean not to pay attention to the crap that's going on around you. And feelings matter. They may not be the thing you should act on necessarily, not all the time, but they are there for a reason. They're there to tell you something. And if you're feeling badly about something, even though inside of yourself, you feel whole and at peace, something bad is going on. And let me tell you, uh, four out of five of the things I heard in that letter are bad. And here you go. Why don't you tell that person to call Tammy or reach out to Tammy? We'll take him back for two weeks and recycle him because I bet you he didn't stay all four, which is the full program. Anyway, um, you know, whether we are or are not continuing to be helpful, I would not feel comfortable being a spouse accepting as much as it looks like you're accepting, especially if this person took the money out of our family to go to treatment. So something is not right. And what, whether you don't know a good enough locksmith to change the locks on your doors or, um, or he's pushing you around the place, either way, I, I think you're being way too nice. That's how I think. And thinking way too much about being at peace, where here I want to throw a plate, but it's all good. Uh, so so um, I, I don't think it was a mistake when this person said he's comfortable with his addiction. I, I mean, I really do key in on that because he is comfortable with his addiction. And did the first two weeks after he got out of treatment, did he show up for the alumni meeting? Did he say to our staff who's on the alumni meeting every Tuesday, I'm really struggling, you know, like, was he there Tuesday after he got out on Saturday and going, you know, it's hard to be out in the real world. I don't know what he was doing, but uh, he had a specific aftercare plan that had something for every single day. 
you know, um, of, you know, after he got back, did he follow that stuff? I don't know. So, um, so there, there, there's a lot. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you're not taking on ownership of his addiction, but yeah, I mean, I know that there are times that people stay in relationships, et cetera, and, and that's all fine. No judgment, but, but I, I you know, like your safety with the chaos and, and, uh, everything, um, and his lack of, of empathy for you, um, that he, you, like it bothers you and he, he's like well i'm comfortable with my addiction you know so that, that well I, if yeah. you read out of the doghouse you know what an appropriate response to your frustration and unhappiness would be and it certainly wouldn't be i'm comfortable with my addiction and one thing if we do nothing else in treatment other than teach people how to not act out we focus on how on what they've done to their spouses. We ask spouses to write us a letter so we can bring their voice in. This is what I went through. This is what happened to me. The whole group hears it because they've also done this to their spouses. So, And then we evolve spouses online. So the voice of the spouse and the involvement of the spouse is really important in treatment. And that's because they need to know everything and they need to feel safe. I'm not, this person is not just doing things to leave you feeling safe. They're doing things to leave you feeling unsafe. And I would be, you know, I think all of this is very concerning. If they have a therapist, I'd want to go into the therapy and say, I'm really worried. Um, anyway, Tammy, I hope that was helpful. Let's keep yeah. going. Well, I'm going back to your trying. I hear all the time from partners where they say he's really trying. He's go seeing his therapist, you know, once a week, that's, you know, all he's doing or what minimal he's doing. And then you find out he's been lying to his therapist for years, you know? So, so anyway, okay. Can I do trying just for a second? So this yes. is, you remember John Seeley? John Seeley taught me this many, many years ago. So I'm holding up a pen. Now, Tammy asked me to drop it. Drop it. Well, I'm trying. I really ask me to Drop try it. harder. Try harder. I am try really, harder. really trying. You have no idea how hard I am trying to make this happen. And now, uh, instead of trying, I'm going to drop the pen. That's the difference. You took yeah. action. Uh, I can try all day long. I do want to say this, though, Tammy, which I think is important is, by the way, you can feel free to share that with friends who are not working on their recovery. But I do also want to give just a nod that some addicts come out of treatment and they are discombobulated. They are overwhelmed. They are, you know, they come out very vulnerable, very open. I mean, that's part of the process. And then they're back in the world, which they may have a real difficult time negotiating and they may go back to some of their behavior, but which, you know, but what, but there are enough lessons and cues in the work for that person to know when they're in trouble, to seek help when they're in trouble, no matter what's going on inside. And they certainly know that acting out is tied to something that they're feeling emotional that they're not dealing with. So anyway, as much as I want to have empathy for this addict, uh, it sounds like uh, you're getting the, the hood pulled over your head. And uh, it's a sad thing. Next question. After 40 years marriage and three years separation, my husband hasn't rebuilt trust. He did a disclosure and passed polygraph, but I don't believe it's completely the truth. My counseling says my husband is remarkable for supporting me financially in the separation, yet I'm not fulfilling my conjugal responsibility to him. I don't trust him. I'm not interested in sex. My husband is full of shame and depressed. He only sees uh, I think that might, oh, a CSAT candidate once a week. Any suggestions for me? We are in our late 60s. Uh, why don't you start, Tammy? I'm writing notes. I have some ideas, but I'd love to hear from you. 
separated. I I I want to pull my hair out with the you're not fulfilling <laughs> your conjugal responsibility. Oh wait, my counseling says so. Your your therapist right. is saying this to you, not his. He, he's not saying his therapist is telling her him own this. therapist so, is telling. Oh my her gosh! Yeah, like I'm just in disbelief. He is remarkable. Okay, well. This is not hard. Let's just do this question. Um, this is abuse. This is abuse by your therapist. You are being abused by your therapist. Well, that's better. Um, there is no uh, uh, exchange. Like you give me this and I give you that. There is no marriage or relationship except the unhealthy ones that are made on those kinds of trades, especially something so personal. And second, you haven't lived together for three years. I would pay attention to that. You know, he is not giving you money. You spent 40 years together. If you are in separation, he has a responsibility to give you half of what he owns. And by the way, if you divorce him, I would assume that whatever state you are, you'll get a good half. So how is it in any way he should be lucky, lucky that you're still talking to him, no less complaining. Look, uh, you don't live with him. Uh, you don't trust him. Tell him to go find somebody else to love and have sex with that. You're, you know, you're happy living by yourself. And by the way, I would ask you to ask yourself in the last three years, have I found myself feeling more happy, more comfortable, more at peace when I'm not dealing with him? And th that answer has to be guided by how much you're investing in yourself and how much you're investing in looking past and backward at the relationship. But if you're working hard on your own peace healing, you might find that it's a lot more fun to not have this person making you so miserable. You may realize, look back on 40 years and say, you know, the last 20 weren't so great. Um, I'm not under these circumstances. I think I would pay the most attention to why have I not come back? Most of the couples I work with, when you're getting on the third year of separation, they're saying something without really saying it. And this is not a happy situation as it's being described. Um, it would have to change significantly for you two to get back together. And maybe you should go have a good life um, and not have this person constantly leaving you mistrusting and uncomfortable. Um, this is not a marriage I'd want to be in, even uh, after 40 years. Yeah, and I would you've been separated for three years. Think about three years from now. If it's the same way, are you going to be happy that you spent three more years in the same place? And if you are, again, no judgment, but um, you know, I love what Dr. Rob said about, think about, are you happier, you know, um, when you're not dealing with this? And, and again, it, everybody gets to choose. So, you know, we're not telling anybody what to do. We're we're sharing ideas so that you can maybe vision things in different ways than you might've thought about. Okay, ready for the next one? Yes, As a betrayed spouse, how can I help SA husband become more transparent? He truly believes <laughs> he is being honest, but sometimes he leaves pieces of his story out because he believes they aren't important. But when I ask questions, he reveals info that I feel so incredibly is so incredibly important. He just misses the opportunity. He's been in therapy for six months, sober for two years. I'm getting great support as well. Love to hear that. Thank you. I sigh. I know. And I only sigh because, and I, I think most of the partners in this room are women. I don't know if that's true, but it makes me so sad that these women are more protective of their men 
than they are of themselves. And they're more invested in these crappy relationships that haven't been good well for years than they are in truly finding their, themselves in and peace with not being connected to this person and not making it work out. So anyway, that's sort of an overview, but it makes me very sad. I like to see people empowered. If they're empowered to make a relationship work, God bless you, make it go. But if you're empowered to make your relationship work and the other person is a rock, then you're just going back to an empty well over and over again. It's like Tammy said, three years later, you know, are you going to feel good about continuing to go back to that well? Um, and it just seems to me that many of the women in this room have such compassion and love for us that you're willing to put us first. And I'm not saying that you have to put yourselves first, but we both have to come first and certainly uh, not the addict. In any case, it is not your job to make someone be more transparent. It is their job to choose to be more transparent because they love you. If I love you and care about you, I don't want you to be worried about things. I don't want you to think I might have done this or done that. I, and obviously, if you felt like he's not being transparent, then you know he's, oh, did we not use the right word? Lying. Um, this is way too nice of an approach to this particular question. This is how I would read that. this. Can I reread it? Yes. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> As a betrayed spouse, it's unbelievably frustrating to me that my husband will not be more transparent. He is lying by omission on a regular basis by leaving parts of the story out because he doesn't want me to know them. When I ask questions, which makes perfect sense considering I don't know the whole story, uh, then he actually reveals some more pieces if I push him hard enough. Um, he refuses to tell the truth. So I would stop right there that that he refuses to tell the truth was my translation of he just misses the opportunity to be truthful. I think my guess is this is a fairly new betrayed spouse who doesn't understand the gravity of the problem. And when I when I said the problem, I mean, the lying, the gaslighting, the the it's all this, but it's really all that. I, I don't think this person has really begun to deal with the magnitude of the problem, because if you have an addict in your life. Uh, and they've hurt you so deeply. I, I would be, it would be very hard for me to continue in a relationship with them when they are still controlling the information. One of the key things that we teach in treatment is that you no longer control the relationship. You no longer, nothing you ever did. You don't have to control the money. You don't get, you've given all that up to this person because you hurt them. And I wrote a book called Out of the Doghouse. It means the person who cheated is in the doghouse and they have to earn their way back into the house and be equal with their partner. Um, it's not your job to help him find his way to get back in there. It's his job to talk to other people. How did you make this up with your wife? How did you make, and then to follow some things. You shouldn't be asking these questions because the questions that you should be asking, I think are much harder and more painful than the ones you are asking. Um, but Tammy, I, I said a lot of stuff as usual. <laughs> do you have something you want to add? Yeah, well, I do. And, and I know this is a brief snippet, but what I hear is he's, he was sober for two years and that's according to him, I suspect. And he's been in therapy for six months. So what was he doing the first 18 months? And if it, and I'm hopeful that he's doing lots of recovery things. So asking, you know, doing the 12 steps to sponsor, doing our drop-in groups that are free, listening to podcasts. I hope he's on here with you. Um, you know, so if, because if he's only going to a 15 minute session with his therapist and hopefully it's right. a qualified therapist, 
you, you didn't even indicate if he is seeing a qualified therapist because a generalist therapist doesn't get these, isn't able to hold, you know, addicts accountable. So, so there's lots more to that. I'm with Dr. Rob. Um, I, I, the thing I thought for you is what healthy boundary do you need to set? You know, if he, you know, if he, if you catch him in another lie, which you will, you know, what do you, what does, is it a therapeutic separation within your house? I mean, what, what consequences, no, that's not the right word. What, what safety boundaries do you need so that you are not, you know, putting up with, you know, the lying, but I agree with too, with Dr. Rob, the out of the doghouse talks about, if you want this relationship, here's what you, what you need to do. You don't have to do that, but then don't be in the relationship. You can't straddle the fence. So and I, I want to thank, because Tammy, we're both saying the same thing in one little sentence, and I, I want to like capture, which is, to me, you're, you're putting up with much more pain and, than you need to. And I don't know if it comes from naivety or, you know, I just didn't understand that what recovery was and what they were supposed to do, or whether it comes from your dedication to not wanting to see this person as being hurtful as he is. But I know, I don't think either of us as friends or colleagues would put up with this kind of behavior and say, oh, well, they're working on it. You know, I just don't think that would be okay. So let's, let's keep going. Okay. I'm the betrayed partner. My essay husband primarily acted out through fantasy and masturbation. We have a full therapeutic disclosure coming up in a few weeks. I'm wondering how much detail I should ask about. This is such a great question. Um, so this is how I would recommend you handle it. I would sit down and I would take a journal or some kind of piece of paper or a pad, and I would write down every question I might ever want to ask. You know, it could be three pages, single spaced, if you like, and then bring it to your therapist and then bring it to your support group and read through it. Um, I'm not, I will answer your question, but I also think that, um, my feedback is good, but other, you know, go to a trade partners group and, you know, ask them. There are people who've been through disclosure, who've asked the wrong questions, who've asked the right questions. This is why we have no cost free, because we give this stuff away, partners groups for you to sit with a partner and say, oh, you had disclosure. What did that mean? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, by the way, I wanted to say something to the person who wrote the last question and I forgot, which is we have a podcast. It's called Sex, Love, and Addiction. We have nearly 900,000 downloads. I say this because if you need to learn more about what betrayal is, what to expect from the person you're involved with, how you hope things will go, we have all these podcasts there you can ride in the car and just listen to, and they're free. The other thing I want to say is I have a YouTube channel. And, and tell me, I don't know if you know this, a lot of people, well, a lot, say, I just saw that video you did for this school or university or whatever, and I got it. You know, So there are resources provided where you can gain more information. And I really recommend every one of you, like I said, they're free. We don't charge, but there's a lot of good information there. Um, as far as answering the question, um, I would absolutely write down everything I want to ask. I would run it by some other people. But as a therapist, here would be my, my bottom line, which is easier to say what not to ask about. It's easier for me to say what. I would not ask any graphic details. Um, if you can see it physically, I wouldn't ask. So if my spouse said, I saw sex workers or prostitutes, whatever they wanted to say, and I was doing it you know, five times a week or five times a year, and it cost me $350 each time, um, I would want to know if, uh, if they had, here's a good question, did you have safe sex or not? 
You know, did you have sex during COVID or not? You know, those kinds of things, just safety questions. Did you ever, so I think there's the basic safety questions, but in terms of detail, we don't believe that spouses are well served by being able to have an image of that other person and your spouse's experience in your head. So I would not want you to ask questions about how big their boobs were. I wouldn't want you to ask questions about how big his thing was. I wouldn't want to ask questions about what kind of sex they had. Where? Sure. I had sex in that hotel up the street. But what they did together, I just think that once you have it in your head, you cannot get it out of your head. And, and I've had so many spouses say, I want to know what position and I want to know, you know, what size cup and I want to, and you can ask those things and you may get answers, but it does not serve your feeling better about yourself. And it does not serve your relationship going forward because it's in there. And by the way, once you hear that this person he or she had sex with looked like this, you'll forever have in your mind, well, they, I don't look like that. And why don't they want it? In other words, it's, it's a road for self-doubt and for doubt in the relationship. But where it was, when it was, how often it happened, how much money was spent. Um, do you know the person? I think you're absolutely right to know that. No, no one, I don't want you talking to your next door neighbor and finding out it was your next door neighbor. Um, but graphic details, that's the only way I can put it, are something that I would not want you to have running around in your head for the next 20 years. Tammy, do you have a better or more evolved not answer. better but no, i i agree with that i had somebody that I was talking to you and this is a while back but she had 150 questions and i was like I, be, I bet we could get it down to three and and we did like i didn't list that all 150 but you know we we figured out what she was really looking for was safety like you're talking about is there safety was there something in my house in my car in my you know or with somebody that I know, you know, those, those type of things. So, so we narrowed it down, you know, because grilling each other, one question leads to another and to another, you know, so it's one of those where having it be a contained, this is the information I need. I think it's important. How much did you spend on it? Was there safety? Was there, um, uh, was there um, uh, like, like if they spent $8,000 on sex workers, that's $8,000 that is not in your um kids college fund yes exactly or on your vacation fund or whatever it is you know so so um but but i i'm always about you know not getting the stuff stuck you know i i get a lot of calls from people who are like i'm triggered by everything because every everywhere i see it's something that he you know he could have had sex with or he could have been there or and so so that you know having too much information just you know ping pongs in your head so um, I wanted to, I, Tammy, you touched on something I think I, I want to say to all the spouses, which is in case you've not been around a while, you think, and, and I don't mean this any kind of accusation, this is just my experience as spouses, you believe that if you just have a little more information, then you will feel better, or that you'll know what you need to know to move forward. And my experience is the more you ask about, the worse it gets. That's why we do a formal disclosure with the right therapist, because we want to make sure that there aren't any more questions, that you do have all the answers, that you know everything you need to know, so this doesn't go on forever. And um, the other piece of it is just related to asking all those questions is, I will say to the guys, and this is my belief, that they think, oh, you're looking at everything, my cell phone bill, every single thing about me, because you're looking for reasons to leave me. And I actually think that those of you who do detective work are looking for reasons to stay with us. 
I think you want to not look up and run into more pain if you stay with us. You want to not look up and think, what, what, what an idiot I am for having stayed. So I think a lot of your detective work is actually not to screw you. I'm going to find the thing you lied about. It may look like that. But underneath, I think it is, are you going to hurt me again? If we move forward, am I going to get let down again? I got to look everywhere to figure that out. Um, it's worth noting that, you know, underneath anger is fear. Anger is an expression of fear. It's a way we cover up fear. And if you take your, I'm going to find this and I'm going to find that and I'm going to get this question. If you look at it as the sadness and fear of what might be falling apart, um, that's a lot harder. So anyway, thanks, Tammy, for letting me go off on that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.